0: Great to see you. I mean that. (laughs) Um, We're continuing through the book of John. John chapter 8 is where we are this morning. Uh, And uh, I would encourage you to turn there in whatever Bible you have in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew right in front of you. It's red. John chapter 8. If you don't know where that is, I'm sure someone around you can help you. We're starting in verse 12. And we'll read to verse 30. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, well, where is your father? He said, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to him, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Jesus, or just what I had Have just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. This is God's word to us this morning. The story of the Exodus is uh, probably one of the most important stories in all of Scripture. Uh, it's, a, it's a constant picture and reminder to the Israel of God's delivery of them. And it's, uh, for those of you that aren't as familiar with the Bible, it's a story of Israel, and they had been held captive by one of the greatest empires in history, Egypt, and they had been enslaved for uh, almost 400 years. And there was a great promise told to them, to their forefathers, Abraham, that they would one day be delivered from slavery. And so the story of the Exodus is that story, it's God's deliverance of, of Israel from Egypt, from slavery and of course you probably are familiar with the plagues and the great miracles and signs that God does this through and he brings this people of Israel out of Egypt and he brings them into the wilderness and as they're out there they're being led by this great pillar of cloud by day and it's leading them it's giving them shade it's it's uh, protecting them it's guiding them to where they're supposed to be and at night, uh, the cloud turned, this pillar of cloud turns into this pillar of fire. It's this giant light. And again, it protects them. It guides them. And they follow this great pillar of fire. And they end up going through the great sea. And God does an, an amazing miracle and opens up the waters. And they pass through. And they're in the wilderness. This is a great moment in Israel's history. It's a great uh story and reminder of who God is that he delivered his people that he he loves them and it's out of that that he gives them the law. It's in that time that he gives them the law. He loves them first, he delivers them first, and then he gives them the law. And so, it's this story in Israel's history that the Jews are remembering at this time in the book of John. There's many feasts and festivals that God commanded Israel to celebrate each year. And uh, this is, the, in the context of this passage right here in John chapter 8 and John chapter 7, the Israelites were celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles, or the Festival of the Tabernacles. And this festival was to remember the time when the Israelites were in the wilderness, that they'd just been delivered from slavery. And they're in the wilderness, and they're living in these tabernacles, and they're remembering the great times and miracles that God provided for them and showed his great power and love for them. And they're to do this every year. And so uh, part of the way they celebrated this was they would go to the temple in Jerusalem. Many people would come, even the Gentiles were invited to join them for this great celebration in the temple courts. And they would have uh, you know different ways of celebrating. One of the things they would do is they would light these huge lamps, and they would be massive glowing lights. In the temple courts and people would be dancing around, there'd be music and rejoicing and they'd have burning torches and all sorts of light. And in Jerusalem, the temple was up on a hill. And uh, there is so much light, there's so much fire burning from all these things that have been lit up that the, the city during this time would have been just glowing from the light of the temple. The light from the from the temple courts just would have shone really all over the, the city lighting it up. And it's in this specific context, Jesus is in the temple courts, and with all the light glowing around him, and he says to them, I am the light of the world. makes a big, a bit of a difference when you can picture that scene, right, where the light would have been such an obvious symbol in that moment to them, and he comes to them and says, I am the light of the world. There's this pattern that exists in John, and we've been following it through. Kevin's highlighted this before, but there's this pattern that, uh, that exists in, in John's telling of Jesus' life. He frames it in such a way that uh, Jesus will make a claim, some great claim, or he'll do some great sign or miracle, and then what follows there is a is misunderstanding or controversy. You'll see even in this passage, Jesus makes a claim and then there's confusion. They kind of miss the point and they start arguing about something that's really different than what he just said. But he, he makes us claim, and in John, there's these great I am statements. The first statement John says, or Jesus says in John is, I am the bread of life, in John 6. And now here in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And he makes a statement, he makes us claim about himself. And what follows is misunderstanding, controversy until the people are forced to make a choice about who they think Jesus actually is. Out of the confusion, out of the misunderstanding, they have to come to a place of, okay, we actually have to decide here, is this what he's actually saying about himself or not? In John chapter 20, verse 31, uh, John gives us really the whole reason for his writing the gospel of John. He says, but these are written, talking about his whole, his whole book that he's just written, his whole letter. He says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I've written these things so that you might believe, and by believing, you will have life in his name. And so really in the same way as the Jewish leaders were there in that moment and they were confronted with this statement about who Jesus was, who he was claiming to be, you and I, thousands of years later, are really confronted with the same decision that, that the Jewish leaders were in that moment. We have to come to a point of decision about who we think Jesus is. He cannot just be dismissed or ignored because that is a decision about who he is. And so we have this same, we're in this really the same moment right now as the Jewish leaders were at that time. And so, Jesus makes this claim about being light. He's the light of the world. And I, like I said before, this is the second I am statement that Jesus makes. The first is in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. And here Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And he's saying something about himself this is not the first time that John uses the language of light in in his gospel and his telling of Jesus's life in John 1 4 it says in him was life this is the opening uh this is the introduction to Jesus really in John's telling and he says in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind that's John 1 4 and John 3:19 to 21 talks about light again he says this is the verdict light has come into the world but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil light has come into the world but people love the darkness because their deeds were evil and so light is this really powerful symbol that Jesus uh, uses and is actually a very common religious symbol at the time and, and really still is. Um, it w- would not have been unique to uh, to Judaism or or to Jesus's claims. There would have been this picture of light is an obvious symbol of of something greater, something supernatural in our world. And it, but it's also a very biblical idea. Um, it's it's you find it all throughout Scripture. This idea of of light. Um, as an example, the law of God is talked about as being light. Proverbs 6.32, he says, For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And, con- and correction and instruction are the way of life. Proverbs 6.32, your, your, land, your, your law, your command is a light unto my path. Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And there's examples of God's law. His words, his commands are seen as a light to the people. But you can also look at throughout the Old Testament and see that Israel is said to be a light. You can find this in a number of passages. Isaiah focuses it on a lot. To give you one here, he says in Isaiah 42, verse 6, it says, I will keep you. He's talking about God's talking to Israel. He says, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. He's saying, Israel, I'm going to make you a light to all the nations. But light is also used in a different way, and you won't find this in Scripture as much as you'll find it in just the Jewish understanding and the historical uh, records, is that they they had this longing for the Messiah. They wanted the Messiah. That, that was really what was foremost on their minds. They wanted to be delivered. They're, th- they're so reminded of the time in Egypt where they were... Captive by one of the greatest empires in history, and now they're, they find themselves captive again by one of the greatest empires in history, the Romans. And they're feeling it, and the slavery isn't as intense as it was in Egypt, but they're not free, and their land has been taken from them. And what would have been just forefront in their minds, especially the Jewish leaders, is who is this deliverer? Who is this Messiah that's going to rise up and set us free from the Romans? And so the the last person who claimed to be the Messiah, Jesus was not the first, and he wasn't the last to claim to be the Messiah. He came, <clears throat> and this man was Simeon, and there was a great uprising, and the, and the Jews tried to revolt against the Romans, and it did not work. But he was known as the son of the star, and his followers believed that he was a great light sent from heaven. They were longing for this light to deliver them. And... So Jesus' claim, and Jesus was aware of this. So Jesus' claim here to be the world's true light, although is, as you can see even from his defense, is very clearly a claim to the be divine. He is claiming God. He is saying, I am that true light, actually. But how they would have heard it and how he was speaking to it is that he would have been saying, I'm your Messiah, which, of course, is one and the same. But the Israelites didn't quite understand that, that God would be their Messiah but they, they would have heard it as a claim to be the Messiah, the deliverer, the one that's going to come and set them free from the slavery that they're feeling. And so this is why in, in verse 21 of John 8, it says, when Jesus says, once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me. They weren't, they the, the Jewish leaders weren't so concerned about where Jesus was, was going to be. They didn't care about him that much. They weren't, worried if he disappeared they were just gonna have to keep on looking for him all the place what they were looking for and what they were going to keep on looking for is the messiah that if he goes away is he going to be like all the other people that claimed to be messiah and died and never came back there was no hope in them and he says when i'm going away you're going to keep on looking for me and then he says something pretty striking he says if you do that you will die in your sin die in your sin keep on looking for that messiah who's going to deliver you and what is the sin it's interesting in this in this verse it says sin it's sin singular what is the sin sing, what's the singular sin that they're going to die in it's their unwillingness to believe that Jesus was the messiah that he was the one see they were so convinced that they would know what god's deliverance of them would look like that they actually missed what was right in front of them. They thought they understood what their problem was. They thought they understood that their biggest problem is that Rome had enslaved them, had captured them. And because they had defined their biggest problem externally as an external problem forcing itself on me, their understanding of what deliverance from that problem was was off. It was in that same line, and they didn't realize that Jesus came to deliver them from a different problem. Jesus came to deliver them from the problem of their own hearts. That's what he was after. More than external problems in this world, our biggest problem, your biggest problem, my biggest problem, is the sin that exists in our own heart is the unwillingness to love God and to see what is most worthy of our love, not worthy of our love. And so they were so convinced that they knew what their biggest problem was, they missed what God wanted to do in their own life. And so what problem do you think God is supposed to fix in your own life? What do you think he's, he's here to do? What do you think he owes you? What deliverance do you think he's promising you? Do you see that the problem that God is ultimately fixed on? Ultimately, he's concerned about other problems. Don't misunderstand me. But the problem that that he's most fixated on and relentless to fix is the problem of your heart, and the problem of my heart. This is what he is after. <clears throat> Light in scripture, although it took on many different forms and shapes, we can, God expressed in different ways, but what it always represented was God on display. And the Jewish leaders simply didn't understand how the God they thought they knew could be speaking to them in the present. They, they didn't, they totally missed it because they had a different understanding of God that was wrong. And their inability to recognize Jesus testifies that they really did not know God Himself. If they knew God truly, if they understood Him fully, then they would have seen Jesus and said, That there he is, He's come. That's His heart. That's Him on display for us. And they were so convinced that they were actually blind to what was right in front of them. They thought they were so confident in their ability to see, they were blind. And so Jesus is um, quite often very gentle in his, in his teaching. We see this in, this in the story just prior to this in John chapter 8. We looked at this last week where Je- Jesus is dealing with a woman that had just been dragged out in front of him who had been caught in adultery. And he's so gentle. He's so compassionate and tender around him. And he, you know what? He is always he is consistently like that with people who are caught up in, in outright rebellion to him. In the obvious big sins of, that are filled with guilt and shame, he is so gentle and tender with them. But here with the religious leaders, with those that are caught up in religion, he is quite harsh. And this is where you see Jesus even coming a bit more outright. And he, although the reason for Jesus coming was not condemnation or judgment, This is is communicated over and over again in the book of John. It says says in John 3, it says that he did not come into this world to condemn it. That's not why he came. He didn't come in the world just to say, look look how you've all blown it. And even in this verse, he says, "I, I pass judgment on no man. So this is not the reason for his coming. He's not driven by this motivation. But... You cannot shine light without it necessarily exposing darkness. There is a there is a requirement, judge there's a requirement of judgment when you bring in the right standard. It just it's what happens. And so when he is there telling him this, I am the I am the Messiah, I am the full expression of God, there is a necessary judgment that takes place there. And Jesus knew that the chief priests and the Pharisees and those who had influence. They were either going to listen to him or they weren't. And it seemed like increasingly obvious that they were not going to listen to them. And so in verse 24, he says, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You're going to die in your sins. He's being a bit more um, forthright with them. You're going to die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. I have much to say in judgment of you. He has much to say in judgment of us. You know, it's not really that popular to speak of judgment in our culture right now. In partic- in Western, North American, current culture, it's like judgment is like the worst thing that you could do. Unless, of course, you're judging someone who's being judgmental, then it's fine. You can do that all you want. But you, you can't be judgmental of other people. But we we serve a God who is a God of justice. And he will right every wrong. He will. And he does not stretch out his arm to you to scold you. But he will also let you fall if you reject his arm. Because he is just. But verse 26 does not end with, I have much judgment of you. I have much to say in judgment of you. That's not where the verse ends, actually. If you look there in verse 26, it says, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. He who sent me is trustworthy. In John chapter 3, probably the most famous verse, Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it goes on. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. He did not send his Son to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's why he came through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's own one and only son. This is the verdict. I read this at the beginning. I want to read it again and look at it one more time. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does not who does evil hates the light, and who will and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that they have what they have done has been done in the sight of God. According to this passage, do you see it? Why are we unwilling to come into the light? I don't care if you're a Christian here this morning or you're not a Christian here this morning, this verse applies to you. Why are we unwilling to come into the light? For fear our deeds will be exposed. For fear, our deeds will be exposed. The fear, the thought in the back of your mind that says, I've done something wrong, and maybe even more than that, something is wrong with me, and I don't want to come to terms with that. I don't want that to be exposed. I don't want that to be fully seen. Because if I do, I will experience the judgment Or the rejection that I think comes with these thoughts and this judgment on me. And if Jesus is just an example for us to follow, if he's just a great ethical teacher, a leader for us to look towards and to try to be like, and he's our example, if if that's all that he is, then yes, that is terrifying. Because it is not fun going in the presence of people that are perfect. You just feel bad about yourself. You just feel bad. But Jesus is not just a leader to follow. He's not just a king. He's a savior. He is the one who has delivered you from your sin. He's not just the great light in the wilderness guiding and protecting you. He's the lamb. He's the one that got you out of Egypt. He's the one that got you out of slavery. It says in verse 21 here, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light whoever lives from the truth. This is the truth about God. That he's trustworthy. In chapter 8 verse 28 Jesus says and when you have lifted him up the son of man then you will see that I am he. When you can see him lifted up on the cross. When you can see him dying for you. When you can see him in his grace. In the fullness of his trustworthiness. In the fullness of his love. Then you'll know and believe that he is the one to come to Not from the external, but from the internal. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's trustworthy. He's full of grace. He's full of love. I want to invite you right now. uh, We're going to have the band come up, and we're going to sing a song in response to this. Um, And I would just invite you again to reconsider. It doesn't matter if you've been a believer here um, for your whole life or if this is new. We We come to grace at the same point in need of grace. And so I'm going to invite the band to come up now. I'm just going to pray as they do. And so, Father, uh, we just thank you that, that the sentence doesn't end with uh, you have much to say in judgment of us, but that you are trustworthy. God, we thank you that we don't have to have fear, that perfect love casts out all fear. So, God, would you, would you remind us of that this morning? Would you see us? Would you help us to see you? lifted high on the cross. God, I am just so aware of the problem in my own heart. And so, God, would you help not only me again this morning, but all of us to see that for what it is and to and to find comfort in your grace as you reach out to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.